Hi, and welcome back to season six of Needed Conversations. I'm Ryan, and this is my wonderful wife, Victoria. We're so glad that you've joined us for this podcast. Right now, we are in a series talking all about money and marriage. That's a big topic of conversation for many couples, and yet many of them aren't having the needed conversations every single week that they should be having. This is called The Prosperous Marriage, and we had a fantastic episode last week. If you missed that, you can go back and listen after this one. We put some foundational elements together about prosperity, redefining it from a kingdom perspective, and more. So make sure you check that out. And wherever you're listening, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get the latest updates whenever a new episode drops. Yeah, but before we start this wonderful episode, I wanted to talk to you guys about partnership. As a lot of you have been listening, or maybe some of you are new, know that we are in full-time ministry. Our ministry is called Empowered Culture Ministries, and we're helping uh, individuals discover their purpose. We're wanting to teach people how to date God's way so that they Mm. marry well. And we also want to show people how to have marriages that display the glory of God. And it's a big task. There's definitely a great need. So we need your support not only to produce content like this, like this podcast, We're also coming out with book material that we're able to also give oftentimes free of charge to many couples, as well as do counseling sessions and mediations. And we just offer a wide variety of resources and we're not able to do it uh, without your support. So any donation would be helpful if you can just join us on a monthly basis. We would be so grateful to see this vision come to pass. We have a big vision. We want to purchase property and we're already looking for some, but we know that it's not something that we're able to do ourselves. We're putting our faith out there and we believe that God is going to be able to do it, but we know that it takes people like you who see this as a, an incredible mission to reach out to those who are in crisis, those who are hurting, but also empower other marriages to not only have good marriages, but empower others as well, because that's what God calls us to do. So you can do that. You can become a monthly partner or give a one-time donation by going to moremostforever.com. Thank you guys so much for your support. Yeah. And that land is so that we can build a retreat center and we can host couples just like you who are listening. But also there's another special thing that we're starting here very soon. It's our intentional marriage group. That's right. That means you get a more exclusive Uh, experience with our ministry uh, through a monthly Zoom meeting, through weekly devotionals and date ideas every month, and so much more. You're first to access our events, you know, a rapid response to your text message inquiries about marriage and spiritual growth. So if you become a partner, you can have access to that intentional marriage group. Don't miss out. Go to moremostforever.com. All right, Victoria, let's jump into our first segment, which is our marriage strategy of the week. I love this. Yeah, I love this one. This is one of our favorites and something that we've been trying to apply ever since we've been married. <laughs> I know sometimes it's a, a challenge, but our it's a worthy endeavor that yeah, we don't always meet, but sometimes one of the man, incredible man of God that married us, Pastor Tim, of course, it was Ryan's a youth pastor as well. And he just really mentored him. He told us about the 777 rule. You want to tell them about it? Yeah, well, it's pretty simple and you don't have to follow this exactly, but it's a good guideline 
to make sure that you're intentional about spending quality time with your spouse, right? So the 777 rule works like this. Every seven days, you need dedicated face-to-face time with your spouse. Mm -hmm. It would be great if that was a date every single week. We know that's not always going to happen, but every seven days, you need quiet, uninterrupted, undistracted time with your spouse. We like to call it table time. Yeah. So it can be at home. It could be sitting on the back porch. It could be on a formal date, going to a restaurant or to a park or whatever. But you are getting that undistracted time with your spouse. No technology. You know, if it's after bed, when, you know, for the kids. And so you can get alone. Great. If you need to get a sitter, that too. But you need every seven days to have that FaceTime with your spouse. Every seven weeks, we want to challenge you to either have a staycation or go away at least for one night with your spouse. It could be camping. It could be at a luxury hotel and an expensive hotel. Whatever you want. Yeah. You could send the kids away, you know, as long as it's, you know, one night where you are alone with your spouse every seven weeks. That's like once every two months. Mm -hmm. And then finally, every seven months, you need an extended dedicated time with your spouse. And for us, that is to focus in on our vision for the new year. It's always around October, our anniversary. We do our best to get away at least for a couple days or we have a staycation where we're talking about vision, our marriage, how can we grow. But that 777 principle kind of rings true every seven days, every seven weeks, every seven months Mm -hmm. or so. But at least in your mind, you know, uh, there's a metric to go by every seven. Yeah. And so it may not be every seven days. Maybe it's every other week for you. And then maybe it's once a quarter. And then maybe it's once a year. But it's just an activity to get your mind in a place where you're being intentional about dates and quality time. And I know for some people it may sound overwhelming, especially if you don't normally do this. But it doesn't have to be expensive. Like Ryan said, you can have, you can stay home, make a little charcuterie board, sit on the couch. You can go in the park, have picnic there uh, during these fall times. They're actually doing movies. So maybe look up some movies. It's about just having an intentional time, spending together, having quality time. Even sometimes maybe it doesn't mean that you're having conversation, but you're actually cuddling or sitting next to each other. That Those things are very important. This is why we see couples become more disconnected whenever they don't spend that time together. So if you can keep that in your mind, 777 rule, you can kind of keep yourself in check and say, hey, it's been a while. It's been several weeks. We haven't went on a date or we haven't been alone. And you could notice, you would notice, you you see that in your marriage. You know, you'll, you'll notice the ebbs and flows and maybe your spouse is a little bit on, more on edge or you're a little bit more on right. edge. So I think that that will be a good indicator for you to put that on the calendar, pencil that in. And I also would like to add that all the conversations that we've talked about in regards to writing a vision, you know, for those of you who say, well, that's expensive, you need to pencil that in into your vision board. If it means an overnight stay, be intentional about it. In in seven weeks, we need to set money aside. So that means every week or every two weeks, we are setting money aside from our paycheck to be intentional about our marriage. And the same goes for that extended period of time every seven months. 
maybe three to four days. So setting that money aside and writing that on your vision will help you to also plan ahead so that it doesn't feel overwhelming and it doesn't feel like it's last minute, but it's very intentional. Yes, and get creative with it. If you don't have the extra budget to be able to do it, there are always ways, you know, if you can't hire a sitter, right? Are your kids in school right now? Is there another couple that you guys can work together and trade off kids, you know, once a month? There's all different kinds of ways that you can make it happen. For a while, Victoria and I were using lunch breaks on Thursdays while the kids were at school to get together. And if that grows stale, you can stop and try something different. But it's just being intentional about the quality time that you're spending with your spouse that's undistracted. And that's the 777 rule. Um, and that's our marriage strategy of the week. Yeah. And on to the main topic of this week. We're going to be talking about tithing. We're going to be talking about tithing, giving, having a spirit of generosity. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? There's a lot of controversy I think unnecessarily in the church about tithing. Now, the reason we're putting this in the conversation about marriage is because spouses aren't always on the same page as it relates to giving, Mm -hmm. giving to nonprofits, to your church, giving to people in your family in need. That's a big deal too. And you have to create boundaries there to where you and your spouse are on the same page about how you're going to be generous and how you're going to go above and beyond to make sure that you're helping to underwrite kingdom initiatives in in your local community. I think that tithing has become controversial by and part because there have been manipulative preachers and teachers out there who really just wanted to rake in loads of money and did not spend it appropriately. So I understand why people get gun shy, but that doesn't change the principles that are laid out in the Bible as it relates to generosity and giving. And we're going to jump into a few of those and touch on some of the scriptures and what our theological conclusions have been. I wrestled with this for years. And since I can remember, since I've had a paycheck, right, I have always tithed. And even in the midst of my doubting, I still decided to tithe. Mm. And the reason being was there was just something in me that knew that I needed to be disciplined enough on a consistent basis in making a declaration to God that you are a priority over my finances. Mm -hmm. The thing that we talked about last week was understanding the difference between ownership and stewardship. And until you understand the difference, everything that you have in your bank account or that you have in your wallet will feel like a burden to give beyond what your needs are and what your selfish desires are. If you have that ownership mentality, it's going to be a lot harder for you to be obedient to the voice of God when he says to give everything. Mm. What if the Lord told you to empty your entire bank account right now and give it to a worthy kingdom cause. Would you be obedient to do that? Well, there have been times when Victoria and I have looked at our bank account and we've looked at what the Lord has told us to do. And we've had to make that very decision as to whether or not we are going to give the last thousand dollars that we have in our account and our savings or whatever, 
or we're going to withhold and be disobedient. Ultimately, I'm grateful that both of us were yielded enough to say, you know, let's give. And God is our provider. What we have is not our source. He's ultimately our source. And so if he's instructing us to give it, we're going to be obedient. You know, I I know this, again, it's not about like giving and then the Lord multiplying that back to you uh, right away. You know, if you give a thousand, then he's going to give you 10,000. I know a lot of preachers teach that. But I love that story that we've had a while back. I remember it was very sacrificial that we were giving. And I remember the Lord spoke to that minister. And as we have it, we haven't even like gave given the check yet. We just stood up to say, hey, we are going to give. And the Lord right away like blessed us in return just because of our right. obedience. And I wanted to talk about before I was prepping for this, I was thinking about, you know, that it's not really a, about a to-do list of these are rules and regulations and laws that God is giving us, although it is a commandment and there is blessing. But if we have a revelation of it, then it's no longer this hard thing to do. It doesn't come from a place of a, I'm doing this because, you know, I'm forced to. Out of compulsion. Right. But it's because you are giving based on the revelation of the word that God gives you. And once we understood the concept of stewarding, that God gives us the seed, it says in the Bible that I give seed to the sower. And if you are that sower, and God sees that he can trust you with whatever he's given you right now and you're faithful in it, of course, he's going to give it to you more, you know, and multiply that. And it may not come in the form of money. It may come in the form of an opportunity, an open door, an idea, uh, a business venture. I mean, God has multiplied us in multiple ways and it wasn't just financial. I, You know, I brought that example just to tell you that it's really about you being obedient to God. And allowing him to work in you and through you. And one of the scriptures that really I, I saw today was really interesting. It was in Matthew 20, 23, 23. And Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And I'm going to just read a little bit. And it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters, matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. I thought that was such a powerful scripture because oftentimes we do it for other people. We do it for the show. You know, we feel like somebody has forced us to do it or somebody gave a nice motivational speech. But when you give really out of revelation, Mm -hmm. then it's an internal posture and it's an internal change where it's not only clean and beautiful on the outside. And it's, again, not something you have to do. It's God working in you and through you to be that pure vessel that he can use and multiply the seeds that he will continue to give you if you are the person that receives but also releases when he tells you to release it. Mm -hmm. That's a very important scripture because it's the only time that the tithe was mentioned by Jesus. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting. We could trace theologically how Jesus becomes a tithe, right? He becomes a sort of first fruits of 
all of us who are now sons through that sacrifice that he made. He was a seed planted in the belly of the earth, and he was resurrected in the harvest was the souls of all of the millions and maybe even billions at this point who have received him and that sacrifice and have become the sons of God. And so he was the living tithe laying down his life, but he mentions that there. And most people, when they talk about tithe, the reason that they don't is they say it's a religious practice. It was under the law. And it was an Old Testament yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. But there Jesus mentioned it. And it wasn't him saying, you know, don't tithe, don't do these practices that you've been doing. What he was saying was within the grand scope of thing, your posture, your heart, your pursuit of justice and mercy mm-hmm. is far more important than the physical act. So what he's he saying, he's saying, I want you to tithe, but I don't want you to tithe because you feel like it's a checklist of your Christian duties and responsibilities. Or furthermore, a lot of people tithe out of fear that if Mm -hmm. I don't tithe, somehow, you know, my entire finances are going to become dust or there's this curse that's going to come upon me. And Malachi does mention a curse, but it's not a curse that God puts upon you. It's it's another way of saying that you are locked out of access to resources that would have become abundant to you if you would have had an obedient heart. Mm -hmm. And really, when you look at the book of Malachi, it's very similar to what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here. Because in a lot of ways, the children of Israel were giving tithe, but they were giving the worst of their livestock. They were offering unto the Lord spotted lambs. They were taking the best for themselves and giving God the leftovers. So in one sense, there were some of them who weren't giving to God at all. They weren't tithing. You know, the Bible says in Malachi that that God said, you have robbed me in tithes and offerings, but God wants us to give the best to him so that, that we will come underneath the blessing of stewardship, right? When it comes to ownership, it's it's a picture of hands that are closed. You are fully grasping and taking on and possessing that which you have been given access to, right? But if you have your hands closed and you are withholding what you have and have claimed ownership over, you become enslaved by the very thing that you own. What you own will eventually own you. Now, stewardship says nothing that I have access to, I'm owner over. God is the only sovereign king. He has ownership and authority over it all, but he has given us access and a measure of authority authority over all of his resources. And so that is a posture, not of hands closed, but of hands opened. And when you have that posture, always ready to give, you become a conduit, a free channel for wealth to flow to and through you. But if it stops at you, you will become enslaved by the thing that you have taken ownership over. That's the key difference in mindset. And so Victoria pointed out correctly, it says that he gives seed 
to the sower in 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Mm -hmm. And then he will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And so he's saying here, as long as you maintain the posture of giving, you will always have your hands filled with seed. And as it's flowing through you, you will also be blessed by it. And so God will give you access not just to the resources that come through the paycheck of your job, but to the unlimited resources. The Bible said he's supplied all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You have freely received, and so the Bible commands us to freely give. And when you have that attitude of giving, you're not bound by the law that we look at in the Old Testament, as is mentioned in Malachi, but you're bound by a greater commandment, that that law of love and generosity that is a kingdom value that was demonstrated through Christ Jesus. I'll say one more thing. If we look at it strictly from a religious perspective, there's an argument to be made that tithing was never a part of the law. Although it was a commandment, the first act of tithing from Abram to Melchizedek occurred before the law was even given. Mm. And so it predated the law, and then it also was made evident again in the New Testament in that verse that Victoria read with Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. So there's no argument to be made that it no longer exists the question that remains on the table is in what context? And furthermore, is does your mentality match your movement? Does what you're doing physically, if you're checking off all of these to-do lists, does your internal posture towards God match that religious behavior? If it doesn't, you're still not going to see any manifestation of, of that act because God is not interested in your works. He's interested in your heart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the other things that a lot of pastors teach is about cheerful giving. Yeah. And I love that, but I don't think that people explain that in, in depth. Like, what does that mean to be a cheerful giver? It's not about putting on a smile right. or, you know, be happy about giving something, which a lot of times it does hurt. It is very sacrificial, especially once you follow God and he instructs you and increases you in faith, there's often times when it's like, God, is that you? Are you sure that's you? Yes. And again, it stems from the posture of your heart. The way that you are going to be cheerful is if your posture is to please God. It, you're going to set your emotions aside. You're going to set even the physical things that are going on in your life financially and you're going to say, I am going to be obedient to God and I'm going to give this with gladness. And I love the scripture, the one that Ryan mentioned, which was Second Corinthians nine ten, and this is the one that also talks about being a cheerful giver. But if you go down, I love this. I was going to read this real quick. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely; He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched, enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
And that, that's what really stood out to me about being, it's the gratitude that you display to God whenever you have that posture of being that cheerful giver. You're actually saying, God, I am thankful. I am grateful for that which you have given me. And even me giving this portion, I know that you will multiply that which is in my hand. So that's truly what tithing is. It's, it's really is just a posture and a reverence before God to please him and, and coming before him and saying, I trust you that, you know, even whatever I release and whatever I have is all yours. And I want to be a good steward of whatever it is that you give me and multiply the seed that is in my hand so that I am able to multiply that which you have given me. Uh, because that's what it says even in the beginning, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. And that multiplication, it, it, it stops if you withhold. But if you release from your hand, then it will continue to be, it will continue to come to you. And really, when you take on the mindset of ownership, you become more worrisome because you are relying on your own strength to provide for your needs and for your dreams. And it's never going to happen in your own capacity, in your own strength, even in your own family. I think that that worry and anxiety, it reflects in any time you feel obligated to give, like you're sitting in a service and you pull out money. Like it's not cheerful. It's rooted in anxiety. Why? Because you have the mentality that this is mine and mm -hmm. it's not the Lord's. But when you take on the stewardship mentality, it's easy to become a cheerful giver, like Victoria was saying, because your posture of that is that of thanksgiving and gratefulness. And you realize that a tithe, if we want to get technical about the terms, isn't just about giving 10%. It's that that 10% represents that all that you have been given belongs to the Lord and he's the one who's given you access and stewardship over it. Let's look at some of the technical terms that we see in the Bible, of which we've already been talking, tithe being one of them. It is literally defined as one-tenth of a person's goods, whether agricultural or monetary, and it's dedicating that to God. The practice of tithing has changed a bit since the Old Testament. The vast majority of transactions that were made in that time were agriculturally based. So you traded goods and services for another good and service, good or service. Now, the vast majority of our transactions are monetarily based, based on a currency that has been given value by a particular government leveraged on a global economic market, right? So there's currencies all over the world. And the U.S. currencies is valued differently from, you know, China's currency or countries in Africa or the United Arab Emirates. And, and so we're giving because most of us don't have farms and aren't trading a, a bushel of corn for a bushel of cotton. Mm -hmm. We are trading that, that representation of our wealth, the symbol of our wealth, as a means of exchange for a good or a service. And so, you know, we can argue over, well, tithing was just agricultural, but no, it was also monetarily because that represented the labor, the, the product of their labor. And so giving 10% is not just saying, 
oh, this 10, 10% belongs to God, so I'm not going to touch it. No, it's saying to yourself, 100% of this belongs to the Lord. He created me. He gave me the gifts, the strengths, the opportunities, the wisdom, and the guidance. I'm giving a 10% as a representation of the whole. The Hebrew language is so fascinating. I was watching this video on Facebook yesterday, and I don't have time to get into all of the details, but it's really a, a, a number language, like all of the letters and the words and even sentences are connected to numbers, kind of like Roman numerals. And it's interesting when you look at the, the way that the Bible is written and how those numbers show up in a prophetic way, that it those numbers are laced in every fiber of creation. And scientists will even tell you this, is that the universe is just a big mathematical equation. When you look down at the smallest particles, it's you know these circles and loops of numbers. And the way that our numerical system works across the board is that 10 is the highest value, and then it begins to start over to multiply in forms of tens. Mm. You know, my daughter is in school learning tens and hundreds and all of that right now. But when you six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven is just starting back at the top of that loop in a multiplied fashion, starting again at one, eleven, twelve, thirteen, all the way nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and you go all the way up to one hundred. I know that sounds elementary, but the reason why we give a tithe is that when you've given a tenth of what you've earned, it represents all of the ones and tens throughout the rest of your earning potential. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. It not only represents the money that you have in your bank account, it represents every representation of wealth that you have, your cars, your houses, your strength, your future potential earning. And you are declaring that God is the Lord over your finances. God is a priority and that every decision that you're going to make about your finances is going to come from a consultation with the Holy Spirit. So when you give 10%, it is a representation of all that you have and all of your earning potential. In fact, Malachi chapter three says this, it says that you're robbing me. This is what God was saying. And then it says, how have we robbed you in Malachi chapter three, verse eight? And he says, by not making the payments of the 10th and, and the contributions, you are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full 10th into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Say without measure. Without measure. That means when you decide to make the Lord, make God the Lord over your finances, he will give you access to resources without measure. And furthermore, in verse 11, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. And he's saying, I am the one who will ensure 
that all of your future endeavors become successful because you have made me a priority over all of your wants and desires and over all of your financial obligations. Yeah, I love that. And I again, it goes back to the posture of your heart. I always share the story about my parents. You know, Ryan was talking about we really don't do this agriculturally. I think we will come to a time where we will actually do that. More so trade goods and services sure. for certain things. But I've always was fascinated with my parents because I'm one of 12, for those of you who do not know. And, you know, I'm astounded how they even raised us and how they were able to provide everything that we need. I don't ever remember the time that I felt like I was poor or yes. we were struggling. And the reason why was because my parents were generous givers. If they are not able to give financially, they would always give food like they had fruit trees in their yard. They would have access to specific farms that would give them like meat or whatever. And they would always they always had the heart for the elderly, the widows and the orphans. Mm -hmm. And I truly feel the reason why my parents never struggled and we always had what we needed was because they just had that posture of giving, even if it doesn't mean, I mean, then they were tithers, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be about your money. It, it, it's about your time. It's about your posture before God. It's about serving him, not expecting anything in return, but knowing that this is a ministry that God has called me to do. And when you do that, God will bless you and give you everything that you need, even if your paycheck does not cover, you know, the basic needs of your family. And I know that my parents probably didn't have every, all the stuff financially, but they, they were given wisdom and strategies to multiply that which was in their hand. But also God blessed us, you know, through other people, whether they were giving us clothes or food or whatever it is, I just felt like it was because of their heart of service to others and others in need, even though they were probably in need too, yes. that God was blessing them. So it's, again, it's not necessarily just about money, but it's about the posture of your heart. Like not about I'm doing a to-do list, but it's like, God, use me. I am a servant at your disposal. How do you want to utilize me? Is it financially? Great. Is it in a service? Great. Is it giving something to somebody that's of value to me. I, I, it's not my own anyway. So I'm going to pass it on because I know that God will bless me. And I believe it because we've, we have seen the blessing that God has poured out on, you know, my family, but also us as well as, as we've been married and we have believed God for great things. And he has made it happen, even though it was not by our strength or not even by our financial status at that current time, God made a way. Yeah, and it is about this mentality. We talked about it last week. Prosperity is having everything you need to fulfill your purpose. Mm -hmm. And so when you take on that posture like your parents did, there may have been challenging times, but I look at the way my parents operated, and, and even today, I think we're taking it to another level. We are set free from the worry of how is this going to be paid for? Yeah, Because we know if God instructed us to do it, everything will be provided for. To be honest, even now, we are looking at land that we don't have the money in the bank account to pay for. We don't know how we would be approved for a loan given the, the time of our ministry and, and whatever we have coming in on a monthly basis based on partners. We believe that God's going to increase that, 
but we're not going to stop looking. We're not going to stop exposing ourselves to the what if, the possibility of of what this land could look like. And, and we're not going to stop planning and doing all of the stuff. We're going to prepare, prepare for rain before it even comes because we know that the clouds are full and ready to pour out as long as we are in position. And so that's our, that's our responsibility every single day is to get in position under the spout that is already pouring from heaven. And we don't worry about, like Matthew says, Jesus's words, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, all of these things, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. That's where we put our focus, and God has always provided. And so in the simplest form, when you're talking about these terms, tithe, 10% or representation of the whole, that's really what it means. Yes, it's a 10%, but it's a representation of the whole. In very simple terms, tithe means priority. Tithe means priority. Now, the other word for giving in the Bible is offering. Offering is sacrifice. So tithe is priority. It's a declaration, a proclamation that God is the Lord over your finances. Offering is giving sacrificially, meaning that you give and you feel that it has left, right? You've given even out of your own need, you've decided to give. There have been many times where we've had a need and the Lord says, you know, give this and we're saying, but we're saving for this. And he says, no, give there. And we've given, and then other resources have shown up. And sometimes we look at what we have in our hands and say, it's not enough. Well, maybe it isn't enough. Maybe it's a seed that is to be put into the ground that will produce a harvest that will become enough. That's what you have to look at resources, your resources as. So you have tithe as a priority. You have offering that is sacrifice. You have alms, which were collected to give to the poor or needy or, you know, the widows and the orphans and taking care of those who are lacking. The Bible says in Acts chapter two, they weren't worried about tithing. You know why? I didn't say this explicitly, that phrase, they weren't worried about tithing, but you so saw no mention of it because the Bible says they gave a hundred percent. They gave all of their wealth, all of their resources, all of their land to the whole, and they trusted one another. And the Bible says there were none among them who had a need. Could you imagine if all of us didn't just give 10%, but gave everything that we would have our communities that would have no lack among us. In fact, if you look at the world today, there shouldn't be one person that is starving or without, right? There's enough resources. We have greedy mentalities. We want more to consume more. We want to compete with our neighbor. There's a lot of reasons for that. We have to get our minds back to thinking about money the way that the Bible instructs us to think about it. And so you have tithe, you have offering, and we don't have time to get it today. Beyond alms, there is seed. Seed is a, an offering of faith, and it's given by revelation, like Victoria was saying today. And we'll get into that in a future podcast. It's very important. There's the $1,000 seed that is a very significant prophetic moment that you engage in. 
that is biblical. We see it in the Old Testament. Again, it's not given by compulsion or out of obligation. It's given by revelation. We're going to talk to you about that in the coming weeks. But for today, we hope that you will step back and consider and say to yourself, have I robbed God? And really, have I robbed myself? Mm-hmm. Have I locked myself out of God's unlimited resources because I have decided to take ownership over, over what I can produce in my own strength? I hope that makes sense. Yeah? Yeah, for sure. This was a really great conversation, and I'm sure a lot of you guys will probably re-listen to this podcast like I do just to also extract some more information and kind of ponder more on a lot of these concepts that we were um, talking, maybe read through some of the scripture, scriptures that we've mentioned. Before we end out this episode today and go into our final segment, there's a big question on the table. So you're married. Let's bring this back to marriage. Mm-hmm. And one of you wants to tithe, but the other does not. What do you do and will your finances be blessed or not? Well, in this instance, it's very challenging. And the question is, is is your spouse saved? What are their beliefs? Are you congruent spiritually as a whole? Are you praying together? That's the first and foremost priority in the spiritual growth of your relationship. But also, let me ask you this. Would you want your spouse to give out of obligation just because you want them to? Or would you rather that your spouse catch a revelation of what it means to be a giver, a tither, etc.? If I were in your position, I would want the latter. And so my recommendation is to make an agreement with your spouse that any money or resources that you earn, you would be able to tithe on that if they did not feel comfortable with doing so. And then ask them to do a study with you and wrestle with this concept together and Mm -hmm. pray about it together if your spouse is saved until you both get a revelation of what it means to be generous. Maybe the idea of 10% is, is kind of the wrong question. Maybe it's like, how can we give above and beyond 10%? How can we become more generous with our money as a whole? I'm not sure how that revelation is going to come about for you and your spouse, but for now, be faithful with what you have. God is going to continue to bless you. God is not in the business of wanting his children to be cursed. So however, whatever means he can use to bless you, he's going to, and he's not going to allow anything to stand in the way of that. Will you become more blessed or have more access, so to speak, maybe not more blessed, but have more access if both you and your spouse are in agreement? Certainly. Mm -hmm. I think that that's just a concept of finances as a whole. If you're not agreeing about your budget, guess what? You're going to have some financial problems down the road if one of you is overspending or one of you is not understanding how you should invest, et cetera. So getting you on the same page in general is going to give you more access. But is God going to place a curse upon you because you're obedient but your spouse is not? I don't believe that God is in the business of doing that. That's my personal theological perspective. So continue to be faithful with what you have and pray that your spouse receive a revelation about giving in the way that you have and have those challenging conversations, not accusing them, but from an inquisitive perspective in a 
and a genuine heart of the pursuit of truth have that Mm -hmm. conversation with your spouse. Yeah, that definitely will be a good conversation to have at your table time. You know, a lot of times people ask like, well, we're dating, we're going on dates, we're sitting at the table, we don't know what to talk about. Like these are the pressing questions that you should be asking if these are your challenges, if you are struggling with budget, if you are struggling with an understanding, both of you are not on the same page in regards to maybe some biblical things, let's pull out scriptures. You don't have to sit there and listen to a pastor, a preacher, or a podcast. Pull out the scriptures on tithing yes. and start listening to each other and what your perception is. And you'll be amazed at the conversation that you will have and the God will actually will work on your spouse's heart. So pray don't, through it. Pray through it. Don't be the one who is trying to make things work and make changes in your spouse. That's not your responsibility. Give that to God. I mean, I think of the widow that brought two mites. It's really her posture. Yes. People brought and threw down a tons of money. And God, Jesus was the one who said, you know, she was the one that was recognized more than all of these because of her posture of her heart. She gave out of the lack of what she had. So God sees your posture. He sees your heart. He sees your desire for that. And God is able to work on your spouse's heart so that they can understand what that means. Because fear is never the the doorway for prosperity. Mm. In fact, if you look at recession, recession is mass withholding. I mean, it's, it's in the word receding, like, you know, the tide recedes or, you know, your hairline recedes. God help us. Go there. <laughs> <laughs> it means when it's restricted or withheld. And most of the time it's because there's fear injected into the equation. And so when you give out of obligation, you might be doing the right act. But if, you, if it's rooted in a mindset that is fear-based, you are still not going to be able to access the prosperity that God has for you and that is connected to your purpose. And so we hope that you've gotten a lot out of today's message. We've got one more segment for you, and it's along the same lines. Are you ready, Victoria? Yeah, the question of the week. Hey, and listen, if you have a specific question about finances, we would love to talk about this on our next episode. So you can message us. 864-428-428. 7131. I always question myself whether I remember it, but I do remember it. Or you can also message us on Instagram at Warmost Forever, which you should be following us there as well. Just message us and say, hey, I have a question about this. We'll keep it anonymous, but we would love to answer some of your financial questions. But I love this question. Um, It says, if you're struggling financially as a family and I am a stay-at-home mom and I want to contribute, how can I as a wife help financially besides saving money on cooking and not going out? And I wanted to kind of jump into the answering this question because I feel like I myself felt that way as a stay-at-home mom. And I think that stay-at-home moms don't get enough credit for what they do. You know, running the household, the budget, making sure that we are not that's overspending. That's of immense value. If you were to calculate that, yeah, that's a that's a full set of expenses that your husband is not having to like, pay for. If you have to have a maid, or if you have to have laundry service, or if you have to have childcare, yeah. personal chef, somebody buying groceries, all of those things, although you're not financially bringing the money, you're also keeping the money in-house by allowing your time 
to be utilized to disciple your children and making sure that your your household is run well. And I personally, I mean, that's, I feel like that that was kind of my calling. That's something that I dreamed about when I was a little girl, about having a family, having kids. And it doesn't get rough sometimes. Yes, it does. And sometimes I do question whether I contribute enough, you know. And as my children have grown, and even when they were little, one of the things that I tapped into was, you know, furniture flipping, which was a little bit of an outlet for me personally. I didn't really expect it to go the way it did, but it opened doors to so many other things. So maybe tapping into one of your passions. I mean, I know so many moms that have started like a online boutique or they started some kind of a group, uh, like a fitness group, and they stay at home with their kids, but they're able to get paid. They maybe sell some kind of a product. You know, I know some women are very successful with Monet. Like, I I don't want to promote them because I don't really know it, but like it's hair products, it's skin products. So there's just so many other ways that you can also bring in income if that's your desire. But you also, you know, don't feel like you are not contributing. One of the things that we've talked about when I got pregnant and we had Mila, we had two cars. And at that time, I wasn't leaving house very often. And we had, it was like an extra expense. You had insurance, you had an extra payment, you had extra gas, extra maintenance on the car. And we're like, hey, let's get rid of it. Is it sacrificial? Yes, it is sacrificial because we have to work around scheduled times. Yes. We may have to schedule appointments at specific times because Ryan was actually working in an office at that time. But it also helped us to send that money somewhere else, you know, and maybe that's something you need to, you know, revisit with your household and your budget and see what are some of the things that we can get rid of. And And even couponing. I know people that are like... They're like... I don't even know how they do it, but they have like a card full and they pay a dollar and they love it. But like, that's a gift. I mean, that is a gift from, from, but it's a full-time job for sure. Yeah. But just those little things. But honestly, to me, now that my kids are older, I'm also kind of feel like I have eased myself into a little bit of a workforce. So maybe finding a passion of yours and tapping into that. And more importantly, leaning on God and allowing him to cultivate a gift inside of you so that He could give you wisdom and ideas. I mean, I think of Proverbs 31 woman, you know, she not only clothes her house and cooks and does all those things, but she also makes a wool and silk and all that stuff. Sells it in the market. She sells it in the marketplace. And I mean, that's a lot of work, but I think if you're passionate about it, it's not going to feel like work and it's going to make you feel like you're actually contributing to your household financially. But again, it's not something that you have to do, but if it's something that you feel like you need to do in this season, maybe because your family is struggling, I would kind of tap into those passions. Yeah, that's what makes the Proverbs 31 woman unique was that she was entrepreneurial. And that's really the the mindset that a stay-at-home mom should have because you do not have the ability to be tied down to a set schedule that you would get if you were working like a traditional nine to five or some kind of job or even retail. But, you know, there are ways that you can contribute entrepreneurially. You know, think of a problem, provide a solution. And it can be a very small problem to you, but if it comes easy and natural to you, it could be something as simple as, you know, maybe you're good at sewing or maybe you are good with your hands and you could start online with some alterations and that's something you could do while your kids are napping you could you know alter dresses or pants or you could there's so there's it's unlimited the options especially with the digital age you could 
to be honest, I know women who have learned cryptocurrency and Forex trading and have made they money have starting with $100. They have brought their husband home. That's what they did. <laughs> like they do, they started, you know, on the side and they've actually started earning more money. So, I mean, it's endless opportunities, like Ryan said. There's so many ways that you can earn the extra income. And your kids are not always going to be babies if they yeah. are now. At some point, they're going to go to school. That's going to afford you some time during the day. And then they're going to become more independent as well. So think outside of your comfort zone. Think outside of your current limitations and let those limitations give birth to creativity. And we believe that God will give you witty ideas and inventions and strategies and product ideas, solutions. That's what happens. You know, when you give, when you have that spirit of generosity, you're seeking to serve people and solve problems. And so that translates into how you're going to make money as well, because you're not just wanting to make money just to fill up your bank account. You also want to contribute you know, alleviate maybe some of the burden of your spouse who's bringing in the money and trying to pay for the bills, but also to make the li- make someone else's life a little bit better too. That's the mentality going into it. God always blesses individuals who have that mentality. So mm-hmm. we hope that answered your question for the day. Make sure that you visit us at moremostforever.com for all of your marriage resources message us follow us on instagram and facebook at more most forever and join us back next week for another episode where we're going to continue talking about the prosperous marriage yeah and thank you guys for joining and we will see you guys next week this has been needed conversations very much so